Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad to welcome you back on campus, those of you who are comfortable being here, and again, to welcome those of you who watch online. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing the services. Expect the unexpected. What an appropriate series for this year, right? I mean, we set out and we said, okay, we're trying to figure out how many services we should do for Christmas Eve, so we're talking about this. With all this COVID crazy, you know, not knowing exactly who will feel comfortable being back on campus. And typically on these bigger weekends, we'll have five, 6,000 people that will show up for church. So we're like, well, I don't think that's gonna happen, you know, this, this time around because of COVID. So we thought, all right, well, let's do three. We'll probably be comfortable with three, that'll be great. We'll do about five online and that should cover it. So they announced the service, they, they put it out there, and within just a matter of hours, all three of those services were full. So we're like, you know, as nervous as the third monkey on the ark when it started to rain. <laughs> we're like, what, 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 what are we gonna do about this deal? So we ended up saying, well, let's add, you know, a, a Wednesday night, we'll add another, uh, you know, another uh, Christmas Eve service at 11 and see how that goes, and those are filling up. So I encourage you to be sure and register. We do have online available, I mean, rather, we do have overflow available uh, if you want to come uh, and be in one of those hours, but they're filling up pretty fast. So be sure and go online, register, and we do that just so we, we, we can make sure we have room for you, space for you, as we're following all the protocols that we're expected to do, keep you safe, keep you comfortable as you come back uh, to campus. So this series, again, <laughs> expect the unexpected. We're right in the middle of it. It's kind of what we're doing, and it's really been a heart series. If you notice, each weekend we've talked about the heart. Because one of the things that I've found in my life, maybe you found this to be true in yours, is when those unexpected experiences happen, it affects our heart. It affects our heart. Uh, it, it changes how we respond, it changes how we react, and it's important that we monitor our, our heart, that we're certain that we are handling what we're going through in the right way. And the reason that's significant is that you and I will not, we, we won't see each other as, as we are, as they are, we'll see them as we are. Uh, we look at people through the filter that is our life, and so if we're not, we're not healthy, if we're not healthy spiritually or emotionally or even physically, it can affect the way we view and see other people. So everything centers on the heart. And the heart, as you know, is not just the muscle pumping blood through your body. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it says, believe in your heart. The Bible says trust in your heart. The Bible says love with all your heart. So we understand our heart is all that we are. It is our mind, how we think. It is our will, what we do. It is our emotion, how we feel. Uh, we talk uh, to one another, we, we'll say sweetheart, or we'll say I love you with all my heart. And what we're saying to that person is with all that I am, I love all that you are. And that's why the devil knows because the heart is the seat of emotion and because the heart controls and dictates the will and because the heart affects our thinking, he attacks the heart. He attacks the heart. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that he will use oftentimes the unexpected, unplanned, events that happen in our life to affect our heart, how we think, what we do, and how we feel. 
So let's be sure that we're monitoring our heart. Let's be sure that we're checking our heart. First weekend out, we talked about how stress can affect your heart. And everybody is under some sort of stress. And remember I said not all stress is bad. And these instruments have to have a little stress on the string or there's no music. You gotta have a little stress on your string or you aren't gonna do much. You aren't gonna get out of bed and go to work. You need a little stress on your string. The, the point is you gotta know how much stress to put on the string. Too little and the music of your life is dull. Too much and the music of your life is shrill. And if you don't monitor the stress on your string, the string can snap <laughs> and that's not a good thing. So I talked about how to have joy with a stressed out heart. And then the next weekend, we talked about how trouble can affect your heart, uh, how you can actually have cir circumstances that go on around you that all of a sudden are affecting what's happening within you. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. He didn't say let not your life be troubled. And one of the takeaways of the message that weekend is you can have a troubled life and an untroubled heart. You just gotta keep what's going on out there. You gotta keep the right perspective, realize God's in control, and I don't have to let the trouble around me become trouble within me. And so we talked about how to have peace with a troubled heart. And then last weekend, we talked about how our hearts can be broken. And everybody in the room has had a broken heart. Uh, certainly, I'm in a, a season of brokenness, and none, none of us escape it. It's inevitable, un, inescapable. You're going to go through a period of brokenness. You're going to lose someone you love. You're going to lose something you love. There's going to be something that's just going to happen in your world that will break your heart. And we talked last weekend about the fact that some of our most effective ministry is in our brokenness. Some of the things that we think might disqualify us or put us on the bench or even put us back up in the stands and take us off the field is the thing that God uses to qualify us. Your effectiveness is in your brokenness. And we talked about how if brokenness is the condition, then the treatment is comfort. Comfort for a broken heart. And we examine the fact that comfort means to be strengthened and comfort means to be encouraged. And so God provides comfort. So in your brokenness, in your broken heart, with your situation today, God still provides, he provides comfort for your broken heart. And this morning, I wanna go a step further. And I wanna talk about how the trouble that can happen in our lives can affect our heart in this way. It can harden our heart. It can harden our heart. If you aren't careful, trouble can affect you and, and change you in a negative way. I said last weekend that brokenness will either make us more sensitive, which is a good thing, sensitive to other people around you, sensitive to the people who are hurting, sensitive in, uh, to where you can respond in the ways that you can, you can do what you can with those where you can. So it makes you sensitive but if you aren't careful and you don't monitor your heart, that same trouble that on one hand can make you sensitive, on the other hand can make you cynical. And it absolutely can harden your heart. Instead of coming out of an experience, as you've heard this expression, better, you come out of the experience bitter. And we all know people who've gone through hard times, broken experiences, stressful experiences, troubling experiences, and it's affected them in a negative way. And I'm convinced as I stand before you this morning that you and I are in control of how that affects our heart. We don't have to allow the experiences of life, stressful, hurtful, troublesome, we don't have to allow the broken experiences of our life to make us bitter, to harden our hearts. We use these terms and you hear it in the music, uh, they've got a cold heart, he's got a cold heart, she's got a cold heart. Or you say they've got a hard heart. 
And we use that uh, in our term, we use that vernacular all the time to describe someone. What are we saying about them? We're saying there's something that's coming out of them that is different than what used to come out of them. There's some bitter water running out of there where it used to be sweet. And I promise you folks, if you know somebody like that or you are somebody like that, we can go back to an experience that changed us. You can go back to that moment of brokenness, trouble, stress. You can go back to that experience that changed you in a way that began to harden your heart. I know even with the physical heart, the heart can, the arteries around the heart and the arteries in the heart can become hardened. Uh, calcification can set up in a heart as little pockets of hardness that takes those soft tissues and begins to, to harden them. And if you aren't careful, uh, that condition can increase to a point you can have a heart attack, you can have a stroke, it's life-threatening. And what is true of our physical heart is also true again of our spiritual heart. There can be little pockets of hardness, calcification, that begins to build up within us and all of a sudden it threatens our effectiveness. It threatens our ability to help other people. All of a sudden we are suffering from a spiritual heart condition, the hardening of the heart. So for a little while, the time we're together, I wanna to talk to you about this hope for a, a hardened heart. Hope for a hardened heart. In fact, in uh, Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah in verse nine really identifies the heart and talks about the heart in its natural state and the problems that heart can create for us. He says in verse nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then he said, who can know his own heart? But he went on to answer, I the Lord, I search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings, God is just. And Jeremiah, first of all, identifies the character of the heart, the heart in its natural state. He said the character of our hearts, my mind, my will, and my motion in my natural state, in the state that I was born alienated from God, apart from God, is wickedness. Uh, it, it is natural for a person who doesn't know Jesus, it is natural for a person to sin. Solomon said as it is from, as the sparks from a campfire to fly upward. And not just for a person who doesn't know Jesus, by the way, it's natural for any of us to sin. I don't know about you, but I can sin effortlessly. <laughs> I can sin without thinking about it. And the Bible talks about that you, we have a sin nature and the sin nature that you and I have come from a condition that we have. We were born with a heart condition, a heart alienated from God. And so Jeremiah identifies it and it's important because oftentimes we fail to recognize the fact that if you only treat the symptoms and you don't treat the cause, you never get to the cure. And the symptoms is a bad heart. So could I summarize that first point this way by saying, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. If you wanna get right down to the core of why I do what I do and why I think the way I think and why I feel the way I feel, it's because I have an old nature within me. I have a heart that's bad. And by the way, once you give that heart to Jesus and once he possesses you and comes into your life and becomes a part of that heart, you still have that old nature. You and I still have a propensity, a proclivity toward sinfulness because we have a heart problem. So Jeremiah identifies the character of the heart and then secondly, he identifies the characteristics of a heart. 
if I have, if I have heart problems, <laughs> if my issues in my heart are giving me grief, then there's going to be something manifested as a result of that. There's going to be something seen as a result of that. He says, this heart that is deceitful is also desperately wicked, meaning that there are some things that will come out of that heart because the heart isn't where it should be. And again, I'll tell you, everything we experience in life affects the heart. Some of the things that we experience in life are mistakes that we bring on ourselves. The Bible speaks of sin affecting the heart. Sin can harden your heart, can make you insensitive. Um, the Bible speaks of uh, uh, our conscience can be seared over, meaning that the things that at one time may have bothered us might not bother us anymore. There's sins that a Christian can commit against the Holy Spirit. There's sins like grieving the Holy Spirit. There's sins like quenching the Holy Spirit. There's sins like hindering the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart when you know Jesus. You have a presence within you greater than the pressure around you. But when things hit your life and you and I make mistakes, if we're not sensitive to his leadership within us, we can quench his work, grieve his work, hinder his work. And as a result, a heart that was one time tender can start to become hard and start to become bitter. That's why he said in Proverbs 4, listen to verse 23, he says, guard your heart, for out of your heart are all the issues of life. Every issue you and I face comes out of our heart. Sometimes it's sin, sometimes it's sorrow, sometimes that affects our heart, and sometimes it's suffering, sometimes the pain that we go through, it has a way of affecting our heart. But here's what you need to understand. You and I will not go through life, we cannot go through life unscathed. Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have tribulation. Trouble comes to people who know God, trouble comes to people who don't know God, it affects our heart in so many ways. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 17, he said, listen, it is not possible <laughs> to live your life and not be offended. You're gonna offend somebody, somebody's gonna offend you. If I surveyed you and those of you watching online would respond, you would say, probably today you've already been offended by something, by someone. If you drove I-35 or 1709 to get here, somebody offended you. And for the love of God, can we figure out those roundabouts, by the way? Can, that, can anybody help a brother figure out a roundabout? I'm just saying it's not possible, <laughs> I'm just giving you an illustration. It's not possible to live your life and not be offended. You're gonna offend somebody, you're gonna be offended, and what my point? My point is, since the Bible says that, you gotta be careful how it affects your heart. Uh, here's a good test to try to evaluate where your heart might be today. Let me ask you this. Would you consider your heart to be cold? Cold. What do I mean by that? I mean, not to be moved or sensitive to the needs of people around you. When somebody shares something that they're experiencing or they've gone through to your life, do you find your heart just kind of cold and unmoved and uncaring and untouched by that? Or do you find yourself responding to them and your heart goes out to them and, and you feel some empathy or even some sympathy toward them? Is your heart cold? One of the signs of our heart becoming hardened is we become untouched and unmoved by the, by the suffering of people around us. Second question I'd ask you, has your heart become critical? Critical. Do you find yourself just kind of knee jerk? Your first reaction is to tear something down instead of build something up. I mean, in Ephesians 4, he says, um, he says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, except 
that which is good for the use of edifying, which is building up of other people. So he said, be careful. What you say to someone that it doesn't tear them down and said, be careful what you say to someone that instead should build them up. But I'm saying, guys, when your heart starts becoming hard, it's hard to see it because it, it just doesn't calcify overnight. You just don't go from a sweet dude to a bitter dude <laughs> overnight. You won't go to bed tonight sweet, wake up tomorrow, tomorrow bitter. It's a gradual process. That's why it's hard for us to detect it sometimes. That's why the only people that often can see it are the people closest to us. And sometimes uh, you have to realize when my heart starts getting hard, it will be evidenced through my, the coldness of my heart and through the criticisms that come out of my heart. And, uh, another way of testing it is has your heart become cynical? Cynical. You, you just find yourself questioning motives and you don't find yourself really believing or accepting some of the people or some of the things that you hear. It is a thing that can, listen, it is a thing that can happen. The heart can be cold. The heart can be critical. The heart can be cynical. But let me give you a, a positive thought here. It's the hope for the hardened heart. It's what I call the change of the heart. Look at what else he wrote in verse 10. He said, I, the Lord, I, the Lord, search, I, the Lord, search the heart. Now, since I can't always self-diagnose, the person that I can always trust is our great physician. He never misses a diagnosis. And when you submit to him, and when you yield to the presence of the Holy Spirit within you, God has a way of revealing the condition of the heart. Let me show you how he does it. Uh, Psalm 26, verse 2, here's what David said, examine me. Now, what do you do when you go to a doctor? You go in an examination room. You start in the big room, then you go to the little room, and you wait for the doctor to come in, and he's going to examine you. He's going to try to help identify what's going on in you. And so David is crying out to God, Psalm 26, verse 2, and he says, examine me, examine me, O Lord, and note now, prove me, prove me. That's what they do on a treadmill. If you've ever had your heart tested, they'll put you on a treadmill. They're proving you. They're, they're testing you is another way. David was saying, God, I want to go in the examination room, and I want you to prove me. I'll put me on the treadmill. I don't know the condition of my heart, but, but when you prove me, it's going to reveal what's going on in my heart. David had enough sense to know, I need to, uh, I need to get a little checkup. I need to make sure my heart is healthy. I mean, everybody ought to do that physically at least once a year. You ought to go in and get yourself checked out, make sure you're healthy. And I'm telling you, if that's true for us physically, that's true for us spiritually. And David here is saying, examine me, O God. Prove me. Uh, test me. Let's, let's amp this thing up. And then he says, try my reins. My reins, meaning that which controls me. It's like the reins of a, a horse can control the direction that you go with that horse. Well, the reins are that which controls us. It's the part of us that makes decisions, how we think about things. So get what David, track with him. Get what he's saying. Examine me. Prove me. Try me, God. This is my desire. I want my heart to be right. Try my reins in my, in my heart. Second verse I would give you is 139th Psalm. Look at verses 23 and 34. He said, search me. Search me, oh God. I mean, look me over, head to toe. I mean, God, uh, you, you may see something that I don't see, so search me. Uh, try to help me see something here that I'm, I, 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 might, be, I might be missing. Remember, uh, 
about a year and a half ago, I went in just for the annual physical, and uh, the doctor says, how long has that little mole been back there on your shoulder blade? I said, I don't know. I, I never, you know, look at myself. I don't trick shot myself there in the mirror. I don't know. <laughs> I might be a long time. You tell me. He said, well, we're going to test that thing. I said, okay. So they do the little cut, and they send it off, and I get the report, and they said, man, you've got, you've got uh, a malignant melanoma. It's stage four. This thing may have already metastasized somewhere else in your body. I said, well, that can't be good. <laughs> he said, no, it's actually not good. And so they thought, well, it may be already in your lungs. It may be on your liver. It may be on your pancreas. It's probably somewhere, the surgeon told me, as they went in to do the, you know, how they check, pull those lymph nodes out. And fortunately, by the grace of God, I, I came back okay. You know, so far, so good. I'm at one, what, stage 1B, I think, is what I am now. But my point is, I wouldn't have known that. And according to what the surgeon told me, I, I, I probably wouldn't be around for six months to eight months had that metastasized in the areas that they were afraid had already metastasized. What's my point? My point is sometimes you can't search you. You need God to search you because you can't see what he sees. Because you're, first of all, probably aren't going to look as intently as he's going to look. He's going to look at you closer than you're going to look at you. <laughs> And so David said, God, search me, notice it now, know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts. And here's what he said, see if there's any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. That was the heart of David. So first of all, the way God changes a heart is he changes it through the work of his spirit when we yield to him and say, examine me, prove me, try me, test me, <laughs> search me, God reveal to me what is wrong with me, show me, and then lead me. You know what the second way he changes a heart? He changes it through the people around you. He changes a heart through other people. I told you last week, sometimes God will use other people to provide his comfort. Sometimes he supernaturally gives comfort to you, and sometimes he brings comfort to you through the friends and the people you know and love. And can I tell you again uh, this morning that sometimes God will bring healing and hope to a hardened heart through the people you know and the people you love. Hebrews 3 and 4, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, four different times, four or five different times, he warns the people, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Be careful that you harden your heart. And then when you get to chapter 3 and you look down in verse 13, he says, but instead encourage one another daily. And sometimes the word is translated instead of encourage, to exhort. Uh, one has a more straightforward uh, connotation and one has a more subtle connotation, but they're both powerful, however way you translate the word. He's saying encourage and exhort, note now, one another so that none of your hearts may be hardened through deceitfulness. You, you don't know, you weren't aware. You deceived yourself. The worst deception is self-deception. So he's saying, I, the Lord, can examine your heart, but sometimes you need other people to exhort you and to encourage you. Meaning that you need someone in your world that you know, love, and trust to identify if your heart's getting hard. I hear people sometimes say, well, Bill, you can't really see what's in my heart. Well, I, I sort of can. <laughs> you know how you can see in the heart of someone you know and love? You can see into their heart two ways. Number one, by what they say, by what they say. They'll tell you what's in their heart if you listen to them talk to you long enough. 
if they're disappointed, if they're discouraged, if they're hurt, it's gonna come out in how they talk. Now don't, don't evaluate them on a bad day having a bad experience because what may come out of them ain't real sanctified at that moment. So you can't really evaluate it. I'm talking about a preponderance of their conversation. That's why you need to be in a relationship with this person. And when you see a trend, when you see that everything they're saying is going in a downward trajectory, depressing, discouraged, despondent, you, you see that trend line going that way. That's, they're telling you what's going on in their heart. And what do you do? Well, according to, again, Hebrews uh, 3, you exhort them. You encourage them. You say to them, man, I love you. I'm not trying to get in your business, but I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you, and I'm praying for you, and I'm here for you. However way I can help you. I just tell, I can tell your heart is discouraged. I can tell your heart's moving in a direction that's not good. I can tell this thing is changing you in a way that, that's affecting you. And, and I'm worried about you as your friend, as your brother, as your sister. And so you, you step into their world and, and that's why you gotta have a relationship or they're not gonna let you for one thing. <laughs> they're gonna keep you out here if they don't, cause they're not gonna trust you. So this, this word was given to brothers and sisters who were in a relationship with each other, and he said, exhort and encourage. So how do I know what's in their heart? I can listen to what they say. Second way, <laughs> I can watch what they do. Matthew 7, the Bible says it's not what goes into a person that defiles the person, but what comes out of the person that defiles the person. Watch what they do. I mean, listen, whatever's in there will eventually come out. I mean, in our speech, Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 7, what they do, what's in that heart will come right out eventually through their actions. And he talks about all these negative things that come out of a person's life. And you really don't know, honestly, you don't know what a person is full of until <laughs> they get bumped or squeezed or pressured because we're all full of something. <laughs> and you really don't know what you're full of pressure hits your life and all of a sudden what you're full of comes right out of you. It affects what you say. It affects what you do. So what do we say to someone when we see their heart hardening by the things they say and the things that they do? We exhort them, the Bible says, and we encourage them. You see, this thing all goes back to watching after one another, to loving one another, to caring one another. When Jesus set the church up, he said the power of the church, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. He says the body ministers to itself. The body has an ability to heal itself. You cut yourself, it'll scab over and eventually stop bleeding. And if it doesn't, you, 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 know, you seek help, you seek help. But typically God designed these bodies of ours and they're incredible and miraculous and how they have the ability. Well, the church is that way. The, the membership ministers to one another, and the Bible says back in Ephesians 4 that ministry happens when every part of the body is connected at the joint. If it's a body, we have joints. And my elbow makes sure my arm receives what it needs from the rest of my body. My wrist makes sure my hand receives what it needs from the rest. But this wrist and this elbow are joints that connect. They're points of connection. That's why we say the mission of our church is to connect people to God and one another, meaning there has to be a point of connection. Or otherwise, I, we won't know what's going on in your world. We don't know what's going on in your life. I mean, the average church in America runs about 120 because statistically they say one pastor can minister effectively to about 100 to 120 people. That's why the average church has about that many people attending. 
our church just blew that away when we started at Carroll High School. Someone said, well, the church is just too big. Well, put yourself in my shape. Who do I tell to go home? <laughs> We're too big, you can't come here anymore. Man, this church outgrew me at Carroll High School. Well, how do you minister to a church that way? Well, as the church gets bigger, it has to get smaller. And it gets smaller by connecting people into the life of the church. So the body ministers to itself. So the foot bone is connected to the leg bone, and you remember the story. And so that's how the, the body receives ministry. It's not the church is too big. It's just that if you're not connected into the life of the church, you can't give ministry, you can't receive ministry, because the point of connection ensures that ministry happens healthy and efficiently. The body can minister to itself. And so it's a beautiful thing that God set up a powerful thing, because he on one hand can help monitor our heart, and the church, on the other hand, can help monitor our heart. How? By exhorting and by encouraging. Part of my message is to exhort. Part of my message is to encourage. I never know how it lands. I really don't. I've had people tell me before, man, that was an encouraging message. Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad God could use this crooked stick to draw a straight line. That's great to hear. And somebody else will come right out and say, did my wife give you a heads up about something? I'm like, what? Oh, man, you stepped all over my toes. I'm going, what? I don't even know what he's talking about. And I'm saying the same message one received as exhortation, the other one received as encouragement. That's the work of God. It's the power of the church. And I'm suggesting to you folks, there's a way when the heart tends to get hardened, to keep the heart soft, to keep it tender, to keep it effective, to keep it functioning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It really never returns void, as Isaiah said. It always accomplishes purpose. And I pray, Lord, as we go through what we go through in life, help us to monitor the health of our heart, to be sure that the heart isn't becoming hardened by the experiences of life, to be sure that we're staying tender and receptive and we're staying sweet and loving. Because, Lord, we know it can have another effect on us and people will begin just to saturate our presence with their absence. So Lord, help us to monitor the heart. I pray our church will always be a church that loves people, especially people who are broken and people who are struggling. And I ask, Lord, for anyone watching, anyone in this room who've never trusted you as Savior, they've never invited you into their heart, might this be the moment where they humble that heart, swallow their pride, Say, Lord Jesus, right where I am, with all that I am, I receive you as my Savior. Forgive my sin and come into my life is my prayer. And Lord, we'll thank you for all who prayed that prayer. And we rejoice with them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.